This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? Yep. Guys, welcome to Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here with Chris Powell of Full Steam Designs. But before we get into it, my friend Chris, let's take care of a little business. First things first, I, I just had a really, I had really great customer service experience from my friends at Broadback Ironworks, of course. Broadback Ironworks are the makers of the 2x72 grinder. It's a dynamite uh, piece of equipment. They have incredible attachments, but the customer service is amazing. Uh, ben Seacrest, Ryan, Vince, all those guys. If you have a problem and you need help, they're the ones to get a hold of. It's a great company. They stand behind there. Um, all their equipment, and I love their grinders. I love their grinders and uh, their attachments and all the different uh, features and stuff again. And if you don't have a, a Broadbeck and you want to try their attachments out, it's very they're very retrofitable. So definitely check out what's going on over at BroadbeckIronworks.com. And you put up their promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off all everything. Get it? Get going. Get going. What are, you, what are you fooling around for? Next is another company, another small company that I've been with for a long time and I will be with for a much longer time, Even Heat. Even Heat are the manufacturer that manufactures the finest heat treat ovens available. Go find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Get yourself involved with that tap control. Easy to use. Their solid state drive makes you, it, it makes a, a lot of decisions very quickly to keep, to make sure that your oven is really within a few degrees. I love this, I love this oven. I've never really had a problem with them. And if I have a slight issue, I call them up and you, anybody you get on the phone at Even Heat, they know, they know what to do. It's a great company. It's a small business. Once again, the best customer service. That's what small businesses are going to be known for is good customer service. And Even Heat has awesome customer service and a great product. Definitely check out Even Heat. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my friends in Australia, Nordic Edge, that's at Nordic underscore Edge. They're a pro make, they make pro tools for knife makers and blacksmiths. They teach classes, and they have a lot of stuff available. If you go to nordicedge.com.au, you're in Australia, you want to get involved, you want to take a class, you want to get involved with knife making products, uh, belts, abrasives, all that stuff. Go check out what's going on with them. Check out their, they make a tang hole saw that's really great. They have the big Mert file guide with Mert Tansu. Like I said a million times, if you if it's good enough for Mert Tansu, trust me, it's good enough for you. Jamie Bishop too. They're all they're some of the best knife makers in Australia are involved with Nordic Edge. Go check out what's going on with them at Nordic underscore Edge uh, on Instagram, nordicedge.com.au. Uh, uh, I'm, you, well, what's to say except for Maritime Knife Supply? Maritime Knife Supply is an awesome company in Canada. They're revolutionizing a knife supplies in Canada. When I talk to my friend Noah Vashon, he says, if it weren't for, for Lawrence Lake, it'd make a life a lot harder. And I get stuff from Lawrence. I have to order some belts, uh, and I'm going to get them from him. He's an awesome guy. He's got whatever you need to get stocked and resupplied. doesn't matter if you're United States. doesn't matter if you're in Canada. If you need belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils, steel, tons of steel, check it out and go check out him because he's also a knife maker. So he works with the New England School of Metalwork and he he knows what you need. And if you if you don't see it on his website, talk to him and he'll get it squared away. So definitely check out uh, Maritime Knife Supply. 
And uh, if you buy the 10-pack of abrasive belts, you're going to get 10% off. So definitely check out them. He's another guy who's got great customer service. Got a message from a guy who said he placed an order with Lawrence, and then he had to make a change, and Lawrence made sure it was all squared away. So another one, once again, small businesses with great customer service. Speaking of which, Trojan Horse Forge, makers of the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice, that's Sam and Jeff. They are making amazing, amazing pieces of equipment in uh, Texas. I love their Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice for hand sanding, for handle carving. Every knife in my shop goes on that vice twice, and it is definitely worth it. And if you go to TrojanHorseForge.com, put in the promo code, put in the promo code I have right here. Full Blast 10, you're going to get 10% off everything, including the T4 Sentinel oil, which is great. I've been using that a lot. Um, and their handle press attachment, which I'm looking forward to seeing. I, I hear nothing but great stuff. If you got a wah handle, hidden tang handle, you're trying to glue it on easy. And if you have the Sable Rail Knife Finishing Vice, this is the one for you. Definitely check out what they got going on. They have also payment plans available, so go to TrojanHorseForge.com. I got something coming out with, with, again, with my friends over at Baker Forge and Tool on Instagram, bakerforge.com. If you want to get involved, if you're a knife maker and you're saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just a stock removal guy, nothing wrong with that, ladies and germs. And if you want to get some razzle-dazzle in your life, definitely get some of the stuff from Baker Forge. They make this stuff easy. It's repeatable. I have a, used a pile of it, and I've never seen a delamination, a problem. The core is always dead nuts in the middle. If you want to make some sand, if you want to get some sand my copper my copper masks, all that stuff, this is the stuff for you. And if you need to get it um, etched, they make their own proprietary etching called Gator Piss. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Gator Piss. It's, uh, it's, what it stands for is Gator, short for alligator, and Piss is short for urine. This stuff is the best stuff that's going to get your... your, your your steel looking good. I've used this now a lot. I've used it on uh, all my Damascus, not even from Baker Forge. I've used it on Damascus steel. I've used it everything as my etchant, and I think it's great. And if you go to BakerForge.com, put in the promo code Full Blast, you're gonna get 10% off. And if you're in the EU, go to DIYEurope.eu, get yourself some of that Gator piss, and uh, stop playing because that's the way it is. I want to thank my friends at Total Boats, makers of great adhesive paints, primers, polishing compounds, all that stuff. If you go to uh, totalboat.com slash full blast, you're going to get an affiliate code that's going to get you involved with me and them, and they're going to give me some street cred. So definitely check out their two-part epoxy, um, all their different uh, pieces of equipment, all their different you know, high-performance epoxies and, uh, and adhesives. It's definitely great stuff. So check out my friends at totalboat.com slash full blast. I'm about to put together some knives with some G.L. Hansen & Sons, G-Carta. It's a unique, G-Carta is a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure. It's awesome stuff, and you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, you can get some. Definitely get some. So it's like G-Carta. G-Carta is like my Carta, but it's, it's colorful fabrics, and it looks almost like a coral. And he uses lots of different... Um, fabrics and colors and it really looks great and he creates a loaf and he cut he cross cuts the loaf and then you get these wild scales like bofa ripple cut tuxini by mikey radio worm Jicarda, mahi mahi pheasant colorama hoopla and uh you get yourself some of that electric fuzz baby because you make that knife real good so definitely check it out and see what's going on with them i highly recommend you checking out Jicarda at bigcartel.com that's my friends at gl hansen sons thank you very much 
Almost last but not least, I want to thank my friends at Tormac celebrating 50 years in business with the Black TA Sharpening, a water-cooled sharpening system. I love the Tormac. I have three. It's made my knife making better, and the reason why is because it's very repeatable. Um, the stones are great. The machines are really great. It's very user-friendly. You can use the jigs. You don't have to use the jigs. But I'll tell you what, my knives have never been sharper and more repeatable, and it makes my life a lot easier, and it doesn't take too much material off. And sometimes when you use the belts, which I did for a long time, you get that undercut. You don't you don't get undercut with the with the with the with the Tormac. Trust me, it's like using a whetstone, but faster. It's like if you take a whetstone and smushed it together with a grinder. You got a Tormac. So it ain't going much better than that. I love the Tormac, and I appreciate the Tormac. And now, last but not least, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I just got a message from Pat Quinn at the Center for Metal Arts. You know Pat Quinn from the Center for Metal Arts. He made something so incredible, and this is what he has. And you, there's a pre-order window. He made a pair of, tong he made a pair of tongs with three different attachments. And, I'm gonna, and he's opening the, the pre-order window until December 15th. Now I'm going to read what he wrote, and then I'm going to tell you what he got. If you uh, this is so this is from Pat. If you know this place, have been taking and taking classes, you know the philosophy about tongs and how important they are to make work efficiently and safely. Uh, I believe the tongs are the backbone of uh, to all forging processes and play a monumental part in the quality of CMA forging classroom and educational programming. Um, I've been reaching uh, researching the process of adding a flat bit tong forging exercise to this power hammer curriculum and during this process developed an amazing universal box jaw tong based on the examples I found in historic texts. Your support in purchasing tongs from CMA directly impacts the quality of the forging classroom and the research into early American industrial forging and the historic restoration. So go to centerformetalarts.org and pick yourself up a pair of tongs. Now, I'm going to, so the tongs are amazing because when you buy one pair of tongs, it's got, a, it's, it's a, like a pair of pickup tongs and then they have a flat jaw on the side that comes off with a, with a uh, countersunk screw and you can have three different attachments. So you can hold three different, um, three different size bars comfortably and safely. These are really beautiful. And if you know Pat, you know that this is like, highest level of, of, of research and execution. They're really great. So go definitely check out centerformetalarts.org and they're not in stock. They're going to be pre-order because this is a very, they're very, he's fine tuning them and he wants to get them right. So definitely go get these tongs. You have until the 15th. Don't, don't play. Don't wait. Don't sleep. And all the new 2024 classes are available at the Center for Metal Arts, go definitely check out. And this will all be in the show notes if you want to know what it is. This will be in the show notes. This whole thing will be in the show notes so you can click on it. Get yourself a pair of tongs. Stop playing. And when it comes to stop playing, you won't, you don't get much stop playing more than my friend uh, Chris Powell. Chris Powell of Full Steam Designs is a man of many talents. Man of many talents. He's got full steam designs on Instagram. He's got fullsteamdesigns.com. He's got the makeshift podcast. The boy is making, he's forging. He's using CNC. He's making, building cars. He's pouring cement. Ain't nobody, ain't nothing he ain't doing. Chris Powell, what's going on? Uh, not too much. What's up, Chris? Uh, I tell you what, Chris, you make me tired. <laughs> you make me tired. You make me tired. And part of it is because 
not only are you doing, you know, you're the full, you're the full thing. You do it at all. The welding, the blacksmithing, you're building this beautiful Ford Model A car. It's incredible. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's uh, kind of been a passion project for a little while. Um, it started with uh, another podcast. They were doing this challenge where you had to build something that was like one of your other like non-woodworking related hobbies and, uh, you know, build it out of wood basically. Um, so I, I've always been looking at like boats, tail speedsters and always really liked that style of car and just decided to do one out of wood. So that, you, uh, that's kind so of where that must, started. You must have an extent, you must have experience with mechan- being a mechanic. Yeah, that's, um, so, you know, I've, I've done a lot as far as education. I'm currently going to school again now, but, uh, pretty much the first thing I went to school with after I got out of high school was auto repair. Um, and I did that for a little while professionally. And then, you know, that ended up being something that I liked more as a hobby. So I got away from that and still do it to this day now. I tell you, I have a, my, my father-in-law is an incredible guy. He's considered one of the best cardiologists in Wisconsin. And he and I had a long, I've known him for now. I've known him for 25, 20, almost 30 years. He told me he, when he was born, he, was, he had terrible dyslexia. Terrible dyslexia. You can't, I mean, he's still to this day, he can't, when he writes, everything's all fucked up. And he said that one of his favorite things in the world are cars. And he learned how to build cars and take cars, cars apart. And the only way he could get through medical school was to translate cars and the mechanics of cars and how everything works to the human body. And that's the only way he could get through medical school. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's funny how we can remember stuff like that. Uh, that probably is a good way to do it. Maybe I should try that for uh, all this new stuff that I'm trying to learn here. But because I mean, that's I mean, there is there is this. It's the same. He he was explaining to me, and I don't understand mechanics at all. Like he he got me to he got me to read a book on. Uh, stroke with three stroke motors and i was just like oh three stroke engines and i was like oh i'm trying to i'm trying to do this but man it is hard i can't i don't i can't do it so i'm i'm just i feel as though when i when i talk to people especially who are who understand cars you get this love of the building of it the parts of it the how things work yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. I mean, I've built a few hot rods. That's kind of really, you know, my passion when it comes to cars is like traditional hot rods, uh, like Model A's and 32 Fords and that kind of thing. Um, and I've built a few of them myself. Uh, my first was a Roadster that I built a few years ago in the Navy. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, it's everything. It, it's like the ultimate making thing as far as I'm concerned. You know, I get to do metalworking, some woodworking, uh, you know, upholstery, like put engines together, all that stuff. So I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I, I really try to push other people to get into it. Cause I think anybody that's into like making stuff, just the car is like the ultimate thing. And then you get to bring it everywhere with you and show it to people, you know? So, and, and the proof is in the, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, that that's the crazy part is, uh, um, the craziest part is that like, it's, it either works or doesn't like whatever you do, <laughs> It either works or it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I get a lot of uh, a lot of hate for things that people think are not uh, like traditional ways of doing stuff, or, or even maybe not traditional, but like how people wouldn't think about stuff today. And 
you know, if, if it works, like here it is, I've got the car. So, well, you know, that's, that's the other interesting thing is because you do, would you consider yourself? I mean, don't take this the wrong way. Would you consider yourself a content creator? I don't know. How uh, people I mean, that. I don't know. I guess that's what I am focusing on right now. You know, I, I quit my job a couple of years ago and decided to go back to school for blacksmithing. Um, and that's really my, my main income now is content creation. You know, I don't worry about selling a product. That's why I can just kind of do whatever I want to do. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a great product that can be sold. It just has to be something that's interesting to people. So, um, you know, I, I don't have any problem with, with that title. And, uh, I know, but like, you know, you I got friends of mine who are like, they don't like the term maker. So it's like, I, yeah. I you know, everyone has a, has a, everyone has their lines, you know, they, so I just, you know, part of me is just like, you know, I think it's fantastic. What, whatever, what you're doing is amazing and showing people different ways of going about things is fascinating. Um, because you have had such a, a such a long, you know, you, you have a history of, tell me more about your schooling. So you, you be, went to, you were a mechanic and then, and then what else did you do? Um, well, you know, I was just working, um, at garages at the time and then working on, you know, new cars, which is whatever. Um, but I ended up joining the Navy and I was a welder in the Navy, a welder and a plumber. So I got a lot of opportunities to experiment with different stuff and just try stuff that, you know, I probably never would have done otherwise. And, um, you know, just everything from welding pipes to repair stuff to making, brackets to hold things for the ship and whatever. Um, and then after I got out of the Navy, I went to a hot rod school that they have out in South Dakota, um, hot rod Institute. And, uh, I don't know. I did that for six months. I just did their custom auto body and paint program, you know, took whatever I could from that, built another car while I was there. And now, uh, I've, so I, then I was working someplace. I was working for Bosch for a few years, just doing the you know, I figured that was going to be my career. Like I was, I was doing a, a setup mechanic position, which would uh, run the different um, automated lines and whatever, and just keep everything running, you know, make adjustments to all the CNC related machines and, and all that stuff. And finally, I just had enough of that and called it quits one night and ended up going and signing up for school for blacksmithing. And that's where I'm at now. When you, what, what made you choose, choose going into the Navy? Uh, I just, I don't know. I kind of felt like stuck where I was and I didn't know a good way out. And a friend mentioned it, that he was thinking about joining the military and it just seemed like something I could learn from, you know, I, I love learning stuff, obviously. Um, so it seemed like a good opportunity to learn something new and see some different stuff and, you know, fortunately, that's that is what I got out of it. So it um, is, yeah. What was you? Did you enjoy the Navy? I mean, parts of it. You know, it's it's structured, which I like, but it's you know a little over the top sometimes. You know, everybody, I think they watch too many movies and get you know too. They're, they're not good leaders. Is mm -hmm. is basically the problem like a lot of the people because they've learned from other poor leaders i don't want to just blast everybody and say that's that fine. that's how it is but you know you've get 
you get guys that probably should have never been in a leadership position that just come up to be leaders through time. And, and right. what I mean by they watch like movies is, you know, they see like major pain and, and just ridiculous stuff like that. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, that's how I'm supposed to be. I should be over the top and ridiculous, you know? And, and that's how they are. Like, and that, that doesn't help anybody, you know, that didn't make anything better. It just, you know, it didn't make anybody tougher for it. It just pissed people off. So, um, Ultimately, that's why I didn't stick around because I, I, I figured if I'd stay in long enough, I'd, I'd either just absolutely hate it, you know, hate it more than I did at the time for that kind of stuff, or I'd turn into that, and I definitely didn't want to do that. So, see, I, th- I feel when I talk to friends of mine who have served, um, I, th- I can think of a few who served, and what I notice is, especially in this creative world of being a maker, the people who have a bit of background in discipline generally do better because they have the idea of just, you know, you have a, and it could be unconscious. You have discipline is something that uh, I just read something and it was, it sounded like something that could have been on like a, it could have been on somebody's poster in their office break room, (laughs) but it was really more along the lines of the discipline is like a gift to your future self. And that your discipline now helps you later in life. And it's almost like this gift to your future self, which I found very interesting. But I noticed how discipline has benefited me. I didn't, I never served. I never served. Um, but I came from a family who my father was incredibly disciplined. And he was, you know, like a taskmaster to a certain degree. And I feel as though that a lot of makers who have, a background with with uh, the military are a little bit more effective in executing their creativity. What do you think? Yeah, um, th- there's there's a, another saying that like I always think about with this stuff, and it's it's something along the lines of like uncoachable kids become like unemployable adults or something, you know, and it's like. Mm if you don't have that discipline, you know, like what you're saying, it's, it's just going to make it harder for you, you know, and you, you really, it's not even, I don't even know if it's having the discipline. It's just knowing how to play the game and knowing how to make the other people think that you agree with them. What, even well, if you don't, you know, but discipline isn't just, I, I, but discipline is more along the lines of doing something even though you might not want doing doing what you know you're supposed to do even when you don't necessarily want to do it. You know, it's it's kind of like yeah, it's understanding. And the the interesting thing is, and I think about it especially now that you're you know, I think about you as a blacksmith, and I wish that there were more people going down the road that you go down where you've gone down. Usually, you know, now you meet most people who are dabbling in blacksmithing and then they they think blacksmithing is forging hammers or it's forging knives and you know which i'm a you know uh, i'm a you know i do as well but there's less and less people interested in the ornamental the ornamental ironwork aspect of it and one of the things that i love that you're doing is is you've been doing a lot more joinery uh, really really interesting joinery where you're using uh, CNC machines to route out, I don't know the right terminology, but you're creating these junctions that you're able to, you know, use with forging. And then there's all sorts of tenons and you have wedges and you, you, the, the 
the discipline that you're taking in order to kind of work on this joinery is very, um, it's not a lot of people are doing it. Yeah. So the school that I go to is the American College of the Building Arts, which is, it's in Charleston, South Carolina, and it's focused on ornamental stuff. Um, so there's a, they have woodworking and they have plaster, um, uh, carpentry, and then, you know, blacksmithing. And it's all focused around ornamental stuff and basically being able to restore the buildings that we have down here. And, right. Oh, yeah. You know, around the world that are like that. So this semester, I'm fortunate to have um, a pretty good blacksmithing instructor. It's uh, a party, which some of you guys might have heard of. Um, and he 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 just he's inspirational when it comes to that kind of stuff and this so this uh all this joinery stuff was actually part of a project that he wanted us to come up with a board that had uh, 15 examples of joinery and you know we went over basic examples of stuff tenons and and rivets and that kind of stuff but you know he really pushed us to try to come up with some different stuff and then you know fortunately i have the the uh, Bridgeport and just different tools in my garage that I can use at home to help me do extra stuff. Um, so I tried to work some of that stuff in, work some different materials in, like uh, brass and copper. Um, just you know, tried to come up with something different and just clean looking stuff, basically. How is how is when you brought these you know the, uh, these these tenons and the construction of the tenons you used the Bridgeport with? How is that received? by the blacksmithing and te- teacher. Uh, he, he was, he liked it all. Yeah. He, uh, it, it was very well received. I think, you know, it was definitely some outside the box stuff, but I think that's what he was looking for. So, you know, he's, he's not so traditional that he doesn't, you know, is not accepting of like different ways of doing stuff. Basically, right. you know, I know a lot of people get stuck in their own way of wanting something done. Um, and fortunately he's not like that. So it's, but it's tough now. I remember when I started blacksmithing, it was before, it was before YouTube and it was before social media and Abana was really the only, and it was a very, Abana was a very, very small organization. And the only really, you know, no, you know, new literature you'd get would be getting the anvil's ring or, or uh, subscribing to uh, Abana. And there was definitely, I definitely remember these different schools of it's either traditional or it's nothing. And then, you know, the other schools of like, if, you know, back in the day, if they had TIG welders, they'd trust me, they'd be using TIG welders. And it's, what's interesting is, is, is now when we look at forging now, the real issue is, is what's, what sets us apart? What sets blacksmithing apart? from fabrication and what what's going to keep us relevant and i i think that that idea of being able to be flexible and use modern equipment to figure out ways in which blacksmithing is relevant is so i mean it's so important Mm -hmm. yeah when i signed up for school they asked me what i wanted out of this you know did i see myself open in a shop and no without even thinking i just blurted out like oh no i could never imagine just doing blacksmithing like i want this to just be a a tool in my toolbox you know something i can combine with other stuff woodworking cnc work machining welding all of that um i just you know like making stuff and i like being able to put all those different pieces together and and 
try to come up with like a cohesive design. Well, it's tricky. It's the tricky part is, is the average consumer who's buying ornamental ironwork doesn't know what goes into it. They don't really care, frankly. And if you were to show two samples where one was riveted together and one was welded together and there was like some fake rivets on it, if it was, they would look at both of them and then they'd look at the cost price, the cost of it all. And then they would probably say, well, I don't really, is it worth the extra money for the hand forged rivets? And that it gets to the point where it's really, it's so difficult fabrication now. I talk to Matt Harris a lot. Matt Harris is just a awesome, when it comes to like vis, visible people that you visibly see doing ornamental ironwork and forging, he's just so important. He's so important in terms of like people actually making a living as a shop, making ornamental ironwork. The It's all coming down. Talk to Pat. Pat I talk to Pat Quinn all the time and they go down to the Center for Mental Arts. It's all coming down to what is the point? What is the, how are we going to separate ourselves out? And what are we, what does the future hold? And when I talk to Pat, he just comes back to the same thing. He's just like, it's sculpture. It's, I mean, it's sculpture. That's it. I mean, it really, I mean, not that I'm being glib, but I mean, being able to make sculpture that you couldn't make any other way than using giant power hammers and special tools is, seems like it's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with him there that it's, it is just sculpture. Um, you know, really, I think any of, any of the, this making stuff is just some sort of sculpture, you know, a lot of it doesn't have a practical use. Um, and, and not that there's anything, I, you know, I know, again, like you're saying, some people kind of go down that they fork off and say, this either needs to be practical right. or it needs to be pretty. Um, yeah. and, and I don't think that has to be the case. You know, I think you can do no. both and I think you can mix them and, you know, it's just finding that person that wants, wants to buy it like that. You know, I, I know I'm in a unique position here where I can pretty much do whatever I want and, and not rely on having to sell that product. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see where I end up going with that, what I do have to end up selling stuff, you know, but it's also myself. the intention. I mean, that's, the, yeah. that's, the, I think that that's the biggest issue. You know, you and I both know people who identify as blacksmiths and makers and this and that and the other thing. And it's like, it's always comes down to what the intention of what you're trying to do is obviously. So you leave the Navy and then you start, where do you, once you left, Oh, by the way, were you stationed on a boat or how, where were you? Yeah, I was in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. So I was on the USS Iwo Jima, which um, is, uh, and it's called an LHD. And it's basically like a troop transport. We bring Marines around and we would have like the vertical takeoff uh, airplanes and helicopters and stuff on our flight deck. Um, and we also had like the big, um, uh, what the hell do you call them? hovercrafts that would come into like the back of the ship and whatever. Whoa. So it was, you know, it was interesting and, and I got to, to, you know, do a lot of that different stuff. So it was, it was a lot of stuff to learn. What um, were the hovercrafts like? Uh, they're pretty cool. It's like big, you know, rubber uh, balloons on the bottoms of this thing. And, and those hovercrafts were so big that they would have tanks and all sorts of stuff on them. You know, that's how we would get all the equipment out to the beach basically. Um, so how but does, that was cool. So, we, uh, I, have, uh, I was, was just, 
Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like we'd lower the ship down. We would uh, fill up like ballast tanks in the ship to drop it down in the water. And then, you know, they just had a free beach to, to pull these hovercrafts and other ships into, which was really interesting. So how a hovercraft works is, is, is it's like a, a round donut pontoon and then there's like fans underneath? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't remember exactly how they blow up. That was like a different crew that would come in that would operate those. Um, but that's, you know, when they were ready to start, they would flip whatever switches and fill up the bags, however they fill up. And, you know, again, these things are massive. They're they're big enough to hold, you know, multiple tanks and, and other vehicles and stuff on them. Um, wow. So the only yeah, was, the only uh, hovercraft I remember was when I was a young boy and I had G.I. Joe. There was mm-hmm. a, there was that the cartoon and the toys were all based off of everything was hovercraft. And I thought there's just no way that they actually do these in, in real <laughs> life. There's just no way these giant things. It was called, I think it was called the whale. Now that I think about it and I'll, and you watch the yeah. cartoon and then you have the toy and everything is hovercraft. I'm just like, Hey, ain't no way, ain't no way. Yeah. I mean, and that's basically what these things were. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. And I, I think I remember that as a kid too. But uh, yeah, that's essentially what these are. But they're they're really big. <laughs> so, what did you do on when you were on the? What was your kind of task when you were in the Navy? Uh, I mean, you know, there's certain as far as like your actual job goes as a welder or a plumber. There's you know just there'll be jobs that come in. You know, it's essentially set up like a job shop where you know other shops will put in an order for something and we have to make it or or repair it or whatever. Um, you know, just basically keep the ship together and there's different amounts of maintenance or different like maintenance things we got to do, maintaining the, uh, stuff in our shop. You know, we had iron workers and sheet metal shears and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then there's like the extra part of it, which is like firefighting and, uh, you know, teaching the rest of the crew of the ship about, um, CBR and, and, you know, chemical hazards and just all sorts of stuff like that. And we also would teach the non like firefighting related people how to fight fires and stuff like that. So, so you were doing firefighting as well as the metal shop. Mm-hmm. I would think that the a metal shop on a, on a, in a Navy shipyard would be pretty interesting because I would imagine that did you get, were you, did you get certified or? Um, so you could, there was, and, and it's, it doesn't necessarily translate to the civilian world, the, the certifications that you get. There's different schools you can go to that get you better qualifications for being able to weld like high pressure pipes. You know, some, right. some repairs require people to be qualified to work on. Um, I had never gone and, and done that cause I didn't stay in long enough. Um, I only did five years. So only. Only that's a lot. That's a lot. only five years. That's still a long yeah. time. What's the craziest thing you worked on when you were the craziest thing you welded on or worked on when you were on that duty? Man, well, you know, it wasn't the, what I worked on wasn't crazy, but one night we were sitting in the shop and we hear this big crash. We were right under the flight deck. We hear this big crash and we go out one of the side doors and there's a big ass helicopter hanging over the side of the ship Oh and God. I guess as you know, we, we do stuff 24 seven. So they're running, you know, flight ops at night 
And uh, one of the people who was like guiding this helicopter to back it up was kind of getting scared that they were close to the edge. And instead of yelling stop, they just like moved out of the way. And and, and so there was no person over there uh, guiding them. And they ended up just almost pushing the ship right or the, the uh, helicopter right off into the ocean. But it busted up a bunch of stuff on the side of the ship uh, where it had fallen down, sprinklers and stuff like that. We had to go in and replace all that stuff. So That must have not been a, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. It was it was pretty wild hearing that thing crash onto the flight deck. You know, come it's like on its wheels and whatever, and then it it came off the back and just slammed right down right above our shop. But oh my god, jeez, it's yeah, interesting. So you leave you leave the Navy and then you you get a job with Bosch. What is Bosch? I mean, they do everything. They do you know washing machines, windshield wipers, car parts. Um, at the place here in Charleston, we had a couple different lines. It was all automotive related. Uh, one was like diesel injectors for like you know Dodge Cummins and like uh, Caterpillar and stuff like that. So we'd make all the little parts for those. Um, and put the whole injector together and, and, you know, test it and everything and make sure it worked right. Uh, and then we also did like ABS stuff. So we'd make different solenoids and, uh, you know, put all the, again, put all the parts together and make sure the ABS stuff worked. And when, when, when the listeners of this podcast hear ABS stuff, they immediately think of the American <laughs> Bladesmith Society. So guys just chill out. <laughs> ABS talk about car stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Analog brakes. Yeah, all of it, everyone's like, "Oh God, look, how did he test? Did he use two by fours? Was he able to shave his arm after?" <laughs> everyone got all fired, fired up. Chris Powell's also all of a sudden the ABS. Yeah. So when he, when do you start to kind of like get involved with kind of content creation and you know, kind of because you you have a really amazing. You've, you're very dedicated. You 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 post really great stuff, really interesting. I mean, you have a huge following. You have a great YouTube channel. When do you start to dip your toes into this kind of new world? I mean, so it wasn't long after I started working at Bosch. Um, I had bought a CNC router and was just discovering that a lot of the tutorials on it were very long-winded and you know, they had good information on them, but it just took so long to get to that information. Um, and I just started kind of relating, you know, what I did at work with, with fixing CNC machines and started making videos about it, you know, just like how I would have, would train anybody there, um, and just try to keep it quick and, you know, focus on that, you know, whatever, whatever that one part was, you know, not, not like do a whole video on just how to work the whole machine, but just focus on a small part of it. Uh, and then that just turned into me doing projects and into doing projects. And, uh, you know, then I started pulling my metalworking and different stuff into it and kind of just snowballed from there. Did you think that this could be a new, were you just do in the beginning, I'm imagining you're doing it because it's fun. You're not really looking for money because you have a job and it is time consuming. Everything's time consuming. And I would imagine in the beginning, it's just an enjoyable little kind of thing that's allowing you to do something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, at first it was just about building that, building on that CNC router community, basically, you know, and, and helping people learn stuff that's really what it what it was about for me and i never thought anything would come of it 
Um, I certainly never thought I'd be, you know, at where I am today from it. I'm, I'm still, I, I still don't know how I really got here. Like, it's crazy. So what happened? When, where's, give me some milestones in the build. Because, I mean, you know, you got a job, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're making it happen. You're in Charleston, with, 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 which is a wonderful, which is a really, I mean, amazing place to be. Mm-hmm. T- talk to me yeah. about the build. Like, how did you, the milestones in this kind of, like, growth? At what point are you starting to, like, less at Bosch and more at Full Steam Design? Yeah, I guess it was, you know, maybe a year or so before I did finally end up leaving. I just, it, it became, it just, I don't, I don't know why, but it just started to feel like this was now my main job. And I guess it's probably because it was making money for me at that point, you know? Um and I saw that if I put more into it, I'd get more out of it. You know, it's, um, I, I do try to post a lot and I, you know, I, that's, I think that's why it's been so successful for me, just that I post a lot, you know, every, every post isn't going to be a hundred thousand views or, or millions of views or whatever. It's just, you know, I, I just try to stay relevant with stuff and, you know, some people are into different stuff too. So I've got, people that'll follow me for, you know, car related stuff or, um, blacksmithing related stuff or woodworking related stuff, but not necessarily all of it. I'm not going to let you get away with saying, uh, 1 million views or whatever. That's, that's, (laughs) I mean, that's outrageous PS. (laughs) She does like yada, yada, yada. You can give a million views. Yeah. I mean, so the reason I say it like that is videos like that aren't necessarily, anything good you know they're they're just the videos that have caught the most attention and you know i've learned now through doing this for a while how people will react to certain things so i can take advantage of that and you know come up with a video that'll probably get more interactions and do better for that reason so it's not necessarily because of what I'm making or because of what I'm teaching or whatever in it, it's, it's just, you know, designed to, to attract people to either comment or share or whatever, do something to interact with it. This is an interesting uh, segue because, you know, I started social media. I started on uh, Facebook when it first started because I liked the idea of, you know, interacting with family, you know, across the country or friends from high school that I didn't really want to see, you know, I liked that aspect of it. And then when I started making sculpture, it was really because I had such a terrible relationship with these galleries that I felt like it was like a pimp relationship that I hated and everything. And I felt like I could do it on my own. For me, social media was an avenue to make sales of physical objects. Like I wasn't interested in doing tutorials. And the other reason why is because I was teaching at the Center for Metal Arts and other places, and I kind of wanted to drive people there. Like in my mind, if I wanted to sell, me, I wanted to sell product. And in the beginning, it was selling sculpture, and then it turned into selling, you know, knives and stuff like that. And that's fader knives is really like... I'm not interested in showing people. I, once in a while, I'll do something, but very sm- a small amount of like how to do something because, you know, it's a strange correlation. When I f- befriended uh, Honor Kagler, 
uh, dies in every film years ago. Uh, when he first started out, he started to do these things. And I'll never forget, he was a listener of Knife Talk, and he would send me a message, and, and I'd look at his early videos. And some of them were, the, the first one I saw that I thought, this guy's, when I thought problematic, I thought, ah, he's fooling around, but he's having a good time. He made a knife where he cut, basically, he cut the inside of the blade and basically left the entire profile of the blade like a half an inch all the way around. And the inside of it was cut. So it was like a, it was almost like a line drawing of a knife, but it worked. And all I could think of is, all right, here's a guy who's looking for trouble. And when I think trouble is looking for, and, that, and that's exactly what he did. And the beginning stages of Dies in Every Film was kind of courting controversy. But like, I, when I say controversy, it's like, no, nah, it's not really controversy. It's really like, you know, you're looking for, you're looking for trouble to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. He, so he really started to like try to create videos that would create a, a response. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting was with, with honor is he's just, and then he would start he, a number of years ago. He did this. I don't know why he doesn't need to do it anymore. He would active. It seemed as though he was using all the aspects of his content, and he was using content on top of content. So he'd have somebody write something nasty to him, and then he'd post it in his stories. And all of a sudden, he created this really amazing new form of content where he was posting these terrible things that people were saying about him. And all of a sudden, it was this brand new thing to a certain degree. I hadn't seen it before, and so I started to notice. And, and I'll and I want to get to just let me go one one more minute or two. I remember talking. I interviewed Alex Steele maybe three years ago, and I remember saying asking him if some of the mean things that people say affect him, and he said it does affect him, and he definitely does. He doesn't like to court you know problems. He he really like it. It got to him. It definitely got to him, and I wonder how this new form of like you know figuring out how to get more views it's it's interesting it's interesting how you also do the same thing you do the same thing like it's almost like you're putting a fishing line out and seeing what you can get (laughs) yeah i mean everything is is an experiment every post i make is you know let's see what happens from this like like it is it's people are predictable and and sometimes it's easy to predict how they'll react to something, but that still doesn't mean that, you know, just posting something on that is going to be a home run. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there, there is a lot of psychology that goes into it. You know, when you get into that kind of stuff, you know, seeing how people are going to react. Um, and as far as, you know, that stuff bothering like the creator or whatever, whoever's doing it, I personally, I don't let that stuff get to me and I don't let it bother me, but it's because I laugh about it. You know, I think it's hilarious. What bo- This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus performance line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus performance line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the invitation to Lexus sales event. Now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Others me is that people, there are people out there who act like that. 
it's not it's not how they're reacting to my stuff. It's just the fact that these people exist and I think they can have a negative impact on someone who isn't as resistant or doesn't understand how this stuff works. That's and interesting. I, I would hate to see that negatively impact someone who wasn't ready for it. Well, it's interesting you say that because I know both you and Honor served and you both have said, I heard you in another video saying I've, you know, or I actually, I was listening to the makeshift podcast and you said, I've, I was in the Navy. No one can say anything worse than I was said to me in the Navy. Yeah. And Honor says the same thing. He served too. He's just like, I was, listen, I've right. been, I've been say, they said it all to me. Ain't nothing these, you know, nerds on, on the couch are going to say they're yeah. going to get me upset. I started to think about that because, you know, you and I were talking and uh, online and we, we, we shared this video of there's this guy, I don't remember his name offhand, but he created something not too dissimilar to what Honor's been doing a lot of these like weapons where it's like mounted to his arm and then there maybe is an axe on it or, you know, it's just like these kind of like novelty crazy things and stuff like that. And this guy, I sent you this video of this guy who I think he mounted like a looks like he mounted almost i would i'm just gonna just to, to describe it he made a like a gauntlet on his forearm and it's like he mounted a uh, right a battery powered right angle grinder almost on mm -hmm. his forearm and then he put on a like 12 inch or a 10 inch uh you know circular saw like blade on it. and then he turns it on and this fucking wheel is like you know two inches from his forearm starts going you know as fast as whatever the grinder's going and it looks beyond i mean dangerous doesn't even like i mean it ain't even it's the most dangerous looking thing i've ever seen in my life frankly from a, like a maker standpoint and the comments the comments that this guy got were you know you're gonna kill yourself there goes that arm i mean i mean you saw what he you know you saw oh, yeah. what the comments were and then you know which no surprise i mean i i didn't right. feel the need to respond to the guy but i said to you i'm like this guy's gonna cut his arm off and then you know and you sent me this interesting a, a follow-up video that the guy who made it said basically talking about why he did it and if you don't like what i'm doing you know it's none of your business and it was just very like deflective of the fact that he made this video with obviously something that was very you know I mean, it was asking for trouble. He was asking for trouble. But then his point was, well, if you don't like it, then don't, you know, don't hurt my me or my art. Yeah. And it was a very interesting conundrum because then you, you're still dealing with the views and you're dealing with these people and who are these people and why are they doing what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And that's another part of it, like when when people will comment on a vid, you know, like I said, some of the videos are engineered to attract a certain amount, a certain right. type of person. And I think this guy probably knew what he was doing. Of course he did. But I don't cross that over with what is, I consider my, you know, art or whatever. It's, you know, there's a clear line there for me. If somebody is coming at me for, something I've created that I think is, you know, art related, like that's, they're going to get a much different response than if they just come at me for, you know, something that I, I wanted them to come at me for, you know? Well, 
but that's that's you know when you when you're putting yourself out with art that's a you're being vulnerable it's almost like a you know i was rick rubin said that when you're making art it's like a, it should be a diary entry and if someone's criticizing your diary entry it's just like well this is my diary entry what right. this is you know how you know so you obviously would get you know defend you're not defensive but you defend your work What's interesting about what you posted not too long ago, and it became this, I don't, I don't even know why it became an issue, was you did these, you took these dry bags of cement to um, make a, a footing in your, or not, it wasn't a footing. Well, tell, explain. It what was you just did. a little, just a little pad in front of my shop. So where that whole thing came from, I had been seeing videos on YouTube of this couple from Louisiana. I forget what their, their name is on there. And they were doing these dry pour slabs where they would just take bags of concrete, empty them out into their form, spray them with water, and, you know, they would do some finishing stuff and whatever. And they looked fine and worked fine. And, you know, they're not putting, they're not building skyscrapers or bridges on these things. It's, it's a pad in front of their shop that they can drive a, a, a gator onto or whatever, you know? Right. So... And they're not I, mixed. Nothing's mixed. No, there's no shovels no, no, no. at all. There's no right. measurements of water. There's no like you know mixers or mixing. It's just the dry bags, and then you sprinkle it. Right. So, and uh, that that I can I, I can uh, include another funny story about Go that. Go ahead. Minute, but that. So I had started building a little blacksmith shop that was just going to be a lean to. And I put down crushed stone and then I started working in there and I was like, man, this sucks. Like I'm just kicking right. this crushed stone all over the place. I was like, you know what? I got a couple bags of concrete. Let me just throw them down in here, spray them with some water and maybe it'll hold the stone in place. And it did. And I recorded it. So I, I made sure to use the term dry pour in the title because on YouTube, that stuff is searchable. Even your shorts, you know, are searchable. Even when you search on Google, it could pull up a YouTube short that is related to what people are searching for. Um, and I noticed that that video was really ranking high in search for the term dry pour. So I mentioned it on my podcast. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do a whole slab just to see what people's reaction is. Cause I have a feeling it will get a lot of attention. And I did like a two part video and then posted it in like multiple pieces on some platforms. And on TikTok, I posted it as um, like one whole video, basically. And it went absolutely bananas. And I had just gotten into their new beta fund, which requires you to do a, a video that's over a minute long. And uh, this, you know, it was like a minute 30 or whatever. So it qualified for that. And it was just bringing in a ton of cash and really bringing in a ton of ton of wild comments. And I was like, well, I guess this is the direction I'm going for a little while. So, you know, then I turned it into doing experiments on that. And I set up uh, two things to, to test them out. And so the funny thing is, you know, I get comments of people saying, you don't understand how concrete works. And, you know, whatever. And I'm literally taking material science classes now. And so, you know, I feel like I probably understand it better than your average con con concrete worker that's, you know, just pouring concrete in, you know, forms and, and right. whatever. So, you know, I understand, like, I get it. But 
they don't need to know that. And I don't even know if, if it would matter, you know, it's, they, people will see one video that you make and they'll create a story about who you are and think they know everything. And, you know, that just leads to them commenting more and whatever, which ends up being great for making money, you know? So I'm so amazed when, when, when I hear or see about people going out of their way to to create a, it's what they're doing is they're trying to create a relationship with you and it always surprises me but i i feel like i feel as though i know what's going i feel as though i understand i have an understanding of the human condition in regards to it and the weird thing is i think you're i think the only experiment to prove it right i here's what i think I think that number one, real business people or real people who are serious are not online writing things to other people. You know, like I'm too busy. I'm too busy to, to, to go after someone. The other thing is is I don't have the emotional uh, support system that would allow me to waste my psychic energy or my like my mental energy wondering what the next person's going to write back i can't i did it once we did it once (laughs) years ago on knife talk somebody sent us this you know middle eastern you know pakistan guy who was one of these companies that was ripping people's pages and then reposting it and trying to sell Mm -hmm. their work and i don't know what i thought i thought man get the you know he was guy was a prick and I got the listeners involved, and it turned into this whole day-long... Uh, I mean, it was just such a huge waste of my time and energy over nothing. And it made me be like, I don't want this in my life. I don't want to click refresh to see if they responded. I just... I don't have it in me. I'm too fragile. I'm, I'm, my, um, I'm too fragile to, do, to deal with this, and I have other th- more important things to do. So I always wonder... Why do some people have so much time on their hands that they're able to like say, well, Chris, you obviously don't know anything about concrete. What, where do you think this comes from? I mean, you know, they're obviously working in, well, most of them, I should say, are are obviously working in this industry and do it, do these things professionally. Really? You Um, think so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think they also have a lot of downtime while they're waiting for stuff and they're, they're playing on TikTok. You know, your phone is everywhere with you now. So it's not, it's not like they're really taking a ton of time out of their day to, to scroll through TikTok real quick. You know, I think while people are, while, while, you know, and it, and it, I don't mean people running a business, you know, I mean, people like pouring concrete and whatever, and not to, People with aspirations don't have time to be <laughs> fooling around writing nasty comments to other people. Yeah, but I mean, that's different when you're, you know, I think a lot of people just get in that, like, okay, I'm working this job and this is just what I do, you know, and now I need to sit in the truck and wait for this thing to dry or wait for this part or wait for this guy to get here or whatever. And I'm just going to pull up my phone, you know, they're not. I think a lot of people get out of that mindset that they could, that there is more, you know, uh, and that's not to, 
not to knock people, you know, I, I understand no. it. I, I, that's how I felt before I joined the military that, well, this is just life now. This is what I do. I work at this place and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, you know, and, and it's, it takes a lot to get yourself out of that mentally. So I think a lot of people do just say, oh, well, screw it. This is life. And, you know, um, they go to TikTok to get their entertainment, you know, this it's, is their recreation. Right. You and, you know, it's something they, that it's, it's quick. You can just do it whenever. So, and, but it's not just scrolling. It's, it's not just scrolling. It's kind of picking fights with people. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do get into like the trolling aspect of it. And I mean, I guess what I do is a certain amount of trolling too, you know, it's, it's, it's engineered, but I always say to these people, I'm like, you know, what is your motivation here? Cause I'm making money off this. Right. So what, what is your motivation? Like you're just being an asshole, you know? I, 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 years ago I came, I, I felt as though I was, I was, I was, I think it was after this whole knife talk thing. And I was just like, God, I just don't have the, I just don't have the, I don't have the energy. I don't, it's too much energy wasted. And I'm like, wonder what it's all about. And I started to think that maybe what it is, is they're just, people are trying to create a relationship with someone else, regardless of whatever it is. They're hoping for an interaction because they're looking for a relationship. And this is when I say a relationship, I mean like a connection. And I feel as though some of these guys or girls or whoever are looking at you and they're seeing how come I'm not doing that? What about me? And I feel as though what about me is always what it comes down to. What about me? Why can't I? Well, I can do that. Why aren't I doing what Chris is doing? What about me? What about me? And I feel as though that there's this whole concept of what about me? And when they're doing is it's almost like the whole joke of like the, you know, the whole story of the girl pulling on the girl's pigtails because you like them. I think that if you found, I think that if you took a group of these people who are writing these nasty comments and you got into, you got 10 of them. And you just like and got in their DMs and just started saying, well, I, you know, I appreciate what you're saying. Well, what do you think I should be doing? I'll bet you a million bucks, you know, 75% of them would be like, hey, let me help you. Let's be friends. Let me help you all. You, you want my opinion. You're validating my opinion. And I think that I would change my tune and, and then we would be friends. You think so? Yeah. I mean, and I don't think any of these people who comment this stuff would ever say it to a stranger in person. No. Of course not. Like, it's just that separation, you know, and a lot of people just don't understand how social media works. You know, I'll get comments from a lot of older people who, uh, so last Maker Camp, we made uh, knives with Adam from uh, Uncle Sam Metalworks. Yeah. And. Love Adam. Yeah. I had, I had never made a knife before. I've never made one since, but. I forgot it there or, or I couldn't, I was flying, so I wasn't able to bring it back. He was supposed to ship it to me. He left it there. Uh, another guy picked it up and was like, messaged me and was like, hey, isn't this your knife? I was like, yeah, could you, would you mind sending that to me? And it took a while, but finally he sent it to me and he put it in an Amazon box and it had poked out the side of the box. So I go to open my mailbox one day and there's this Amazon box jammed in my mailbox and like barely fit. I don't know, actually know how the pre- how the person got in there, it got it in there without crushing it. But sticking out of the front of the box was this knife tip, which was super dull because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and, and whatever. But I made a video about it and I got so many people just going nuts about 
Amazon not isn't supposed to deliver into your mailbox. And like they'd either completely miss the knife tip or they would think that the the mailman did it on purpose. So I would hurt myself and just ridiculous stuff like a lot of people just don't understand social media. And again, they look at this one video and they they write a whole story in their mind about it. And it it fires them up because they had their Amazon guy shove a package in the mailbox or whatever, you know, so then they have something to relate to with that. But I don't know. I, I mean, I not and I have made friends with people who have just commented on my stuff. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they were commenting hateful stuff. Most of them were positive, but I, I've had people come back and see my other videos and say, you know, well, you're, you're crap when it comes to concrete, but you're pretty good, you know, at making stuff or that car's cool or whatever. So, you know, people just don't look into this stuff enough to figure out who you are before commenting. It's, but it's a very, but that's something that's going on in the world in general, this concept of being impulsive. There's, there's, and I feel like it might be a generational thing because there's this, there's just this reaction without a degree of without any perspective there's reaction without any historical perspective or the thought of what's to do what you know how will my actions affect you know the future or the future of me and i feel as though that there's almost like this it's this i think i mean i honestly if you really want to get into it i really think there's this strange you know there was a strange derelict duty in parenting and there's a lot of people who are impulsive and they don't think about the consequences of their actions and they behave in a manner that is relatively antisocial. And I can't wrap my head around it. I can't relate to it. But what I do is I notice it and I try to get away from it as quickly as possible. I feel like it's incre- it can be incredibly invasive. Invasive in a way that is it like ties me down to a certain degree. Mm. I, I don't know. I I think some people are just more, they're they're out of touch when they're on the internet. You know, I I don't know if they're this bad in person. I, and I doubt that they are. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that any of the people who say what they say to me on the internet would ever say that to me in person. So I, th- I think it has something to do about that disconnect. But I, I also think that, like, there are certain people, I mean, you, I think about people who are kind of courting it because it definitely runs the numbers up. You, Honor, uh, Chris Zepp, uh, Jimmy Duresta, for sure, to a certain degree, you guys all, you're, you, you, as content creators, it benefits you. And I feel like you guys aren't affected. It seems as though none of you are terribly affected, but you, at the same time, you're just like, when it comes down to it, you can count on, you know, Chris Zepp can count on taking a, a giant saw <laughs> and cutting a fucking a ballast or a, a you know, newel post and staring into the camera and knowing that that's going to drive his numbers up. And it's like, it's hilarious because I don't get problems. I don't get problems. I don't court problems either. You know, my job is to try to get people off instagram and onto my website you know or to get onto my newsletter because i you know i think you you had a great episode of uh the makeshift podcast with um 
with Reaper, Bobby over at Reaper, and you had Justin Moreau, Justin, um, just, uh, Rainy Day Forge, and all those guys you guys are talking about what happened with Instagram and how the algorithms affect and stuff like that. And what's interesting is, is you have a different, you have a different use and direction with social media than I do. Or, um, and what it, it or most knife makers do, and it was it, it's an interesting perspective because, I mean, you guys you guys would prefer to we prefer a, a little controversy. The biggest I'll tell you this this drives me fucking crazy, is I do the reels on, with protest. I prefer to have pictures because pictures a lot of knife makers you know when they have their customers they can screen cap one of the pictures and send you pictures. I want this knife. It makes it a lot easier, makes life a lot easier, and it makes it almost more like a catalog. But we also know that, you know, Instagram put a stop to the most part for the single pictures and they want reels. I did one reel where I took a, a video of, it was like a three-second video of this plant growing out of my sign. And I put behind it, I put the Queen song, um, I you know, I, I'm Breaking Free or something like that. I got 80,000 views. I was so fucking furious. It doesn't matter what knife I make. It doesn't matter what how I do it. This one goddamn plant growing out of a sign got 80,000 views. And it was exhausting. Yeah. I mean, but then that's just how it is. You know, you appeal to that larger audience. You know, more people can relate with just nonsense like that. You know, because it's, it's not important. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is... It does suck. I, I know what you mean because I'll put up something that I've spent, you know, days or weeks or months making and get, you know, a couple thousand views. And it's like, what the hell? Like, I can put out some just absolutely ridiculous thing, like, like uh, a quick tip on how to cut a short piece of of material on your on your uh, miter saw, like I did today, and boom, it immediately starts getting tons of views. That was a so. great one, by the way. I could have used that not too long ago. I could have used that tip. The tip yeah. was really, that was a great tip. That was a really great tip. Basically, yeah, I like, really I like sprinkling that, man. Well, I mean, that is helpful. But see, the thing is, is anytime I do it, to, yeah, the, my problem is, is like when it comes to tips, I try to push everyone towards knife talk because otherwise the demographics, I already have the demographics for Fader Knives is all knife makers. And it's just like, I'm trying to find other people. So I got to like do other things to get like, non-knife makers looking at my work so i have to like do cooking videos and stuff which is annoying but at the same time it's like you know i gotta do whatever it takes yeah i loved your uh, uh multiple take video there that you had done the other day that that was a good one <sighs> trying to do i'm try my 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 i'm trying to keep it i'm trying to be i don't i don't try to overthink everything but at the same time, I try, I'm trying to do, I, I was doing a couple of years ago, I did this thing and it was like the, the outtakes were the best part. It was just like me just being, cause knife makers, knife makers. I mean, I, I don't know if you know a lot of knife makers, but I mean, everyone is like, everyone is, they have a very high opinion of themselves as men, you know, and it's like it, it, they, everyone's got to be like, you know, cutting bottles and looking tough and long beard and the, in the, you know, and the no, you know, nothing wrong with a long beard. I understand. But it was like, I, I always feel as though it's like this, you're creating this aspect of yourself. Like you're some sort of like Conan, the barbarian. And when I'm Larry David, I mean, there's, that, that, that's me. That's those me shrugging my shoulders and being miserable 
and thinking to myself, I fucking have to shuck and jive for this to sell a goddamn knife. And it's the outtakes that are the real me. It's like, I have no choice. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, fuck it. You know, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get the misery. That's better. So I don't know if I'm doing it right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. You know, I think you have a more personal connection with a majority of your audience where, you know, I have that tight knit, you know, f- like friend group, basically. Uh, but then a majority of the people who follow me are just, they don't know me, you know. So I think the videos you do and the way that you, you know, doing things like that or cooking or whatever, like, it's just a look into your life more. And, yeah. and I think that does work well for, for those types of people. But, you know, for branching out, it can be tough. It's, you really got to, you know, kind of break the mold and, and, and do some crazy stuff, I guess. Well, that's, stuff. that's something that you guys touched upon on the Makeshift Podcast. Makeshift Podcast is great. P.S., the last few episodes, you're looking for a replacement host. What is going on on the Makeshift Podcast? Are you auditioning oh, for a, a new person, or what's going on? Yeah, yeah, it's not a replacement. It's just looking for a third, trying to mix in, you know, a little more. It could, I think, I think a three person podcast is kind of a good dynamic. So um, it would be nice to have something like that. But you know, the, like the problems that we're kind of running into it is like. So I was in the Navy uh, that the the guy I do the podcast with Corey, we were in the Navy on the same ship together for a little while. So we have a dynamic with that. Um, So it's it's hard to get anybody else into that little group, you know, but that's okay. What are you looking for in a third? Uh, Just, you know, somebody interesting that can keep the conversation going when when we run out of stuff to talk about, basically, you know. One of the things I've noticed, and, and Knife Talk has gone as well as it has been for the past five years, is because all three of us have completely different voices. Like, mm-hmm. couldn't be any different, more different than Mareko, Momasi, me, and Craig Lockwood. Craig Lockwood's got a, he's from Wales, so he's got a, you know, completely different. I got a New York accent, and then Mareko's got this kind of like, you can tell he's kind of like from the Pacific Northwest. He's got a kind of Pacific Northwest kind of thing going on. And that's always been for me, I felt like, it's almost like this crutch. I don't want to say we're as good as we are just because of the content, but I feel like because you can delineate who's who, that's like mm-hmm. part, that's just a subconscious part of why it works is because you kind of know one guy sounds like he's from New York, one guy sounds like he's from England, and another guy sounds like from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did, does help. Yeah, that helps. So how did you, so how are you, how is it going with the search? Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of people and, you know, I've, I've enjoyed all the conversations, so it's hard for me to say, you know, which ones are good and which ones are bad or whatever, or, or you know, it, we've kind can of I, been looking for feedback on it, but. Can I make an unpopular suggestion? Absolutely. Is I love have this. unpopular suggestion is, is don't have someone nailed down. Have a, have, this is what I, what I do on full blast is I have like a core group of guys that I can rotate in and out. And it makes it makes it more fun because like you have different every episode is a little bit different. Like 
I can uh, Ben Snore is fucking gold. I mean, I get messages from people saying you have to have him on all the time. I I I can't nail him down. Number one and number two is he gets you know he's got a life too and he's got a job and stuff like that. So he's got to open access. But it makes my life easier when I have like a rotating group of of guys who will just like at the drop of a hat, like I got Ben Camone coming on next week. And, you know, I got a rotating group of guys who just like to come in. Maybe, maybe that's the move. It's just having, cause then, you know, the timing of it all is tough. Like knife talk. Mm -hmm. I got, we have to schedule it in. It's a specific day at a specific time. And that's like written in stone unless something happens. Right. Yeah. No, that, that does sound like a great idea. We've kind of talked about that a little before, uh, we have like a, a Instagram chat related to the patrons of ours on the podcast, um, and those people a lot of times have been on the show, and they're they're always fun conversations. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm with you on that. There, I was really interested in what uh, Bobby uh, Reaper uh, Manufacturing had to say. That guy's good. He was, he's, he's always been super duper supportive of what we've been doing. And he was very good. And he had a very interesting perspective. How has the, uh, that kind of Instagram algorithm kerfluffle as the, as that's as maximum as I can say, I hate it when people call it the apocalypse. I hate it when people turn it into something more dramatic than it actually is the dust up, maybe a dust up kerfluffle. Let's say kerfluffle. How did that affect you personally or any of you, you know, or, you know, what you're doing? Personally, it didn't. And I thought there may be some things that I'd start getting hit on, uh, but that had no effect on me. I, I was kind of surprised and I guess lucky or I, I don't know what it was, but I was able to completely avoid that. So it's, it's interesting. And I've said it on here a number of times and I feel like, like, I feel as though I, I say it a lot only because when, you know, I don't know if you know about podcasts, but it's almost like people just go in and out and they don't listen to every episode and they, you kind of have to repeat yourself to a certain degree. Otherwise, you know, if you said something one time, one, you know, one thing of importance, you know, a couple months ago, it's, I mean, it might as well have thrown in the garbage. I, uh, about a year and a half ago, I, or you got a year ago, I brought, I found this article and it was about this concept, Section 2. Well, not a concept. It was this basically this law called Section 230. And what Section 230 is, it's not a law. It's, a, it's like an article in the Communications and Decency Act. And basically what it was was to protect in the back in the 50s, I guess there was a newsstand or a bookstore. Guy walks in the newsstand or bookstore and he notices a book that he deemed you know obscene. And then he wanted to sue the bookstore owner for having it. Section 230 was meant to protect the bookstore from being sued by the contents in their store, right? So flash forward, Section 230 uh, was meant to protect companies like Google or Meta for like on YouTube. YouTube shouldn't be uh, sued for the content on there. If somebody was inspired by a, like a jackass video and then they got hurt. They can't sue, ja you know, they can't sue uh, Google, which owns YouTube, because, you know, they had the video on. So Section 230 protected Meta and protected Google and all these other platforms from, you know, being, you know, the, the, the legit, the being sued. It's the algorithms that promote stuff, the algorithms that recommend stuff, 
where where you like this, maybe you like this. It starts to become uh, it starts to become outside the purview of the, of of res- the responsibility. All of a sudden, it seems as though it's it's falling upon these companies. There's a, a lawsuit that's still going on called Gonzalez versus Google, where the Gonzalez family's daughter was killed in a terrorist attack, and from ISIS and the family and the lawyer's family believes that the ISIS people were indoctrinated into ISIS because they watch YouTube videos and then the end of the watch the end of the end of the YouTube video it says, Oh, if you like that beheading video, maybe you like this one. And they believe that the algorithm that promoted what to recommend all of a sudden makes companies uh not exempt uh by section two thirty does not keep them exempt. So when I read this article on, um, read it on Knife Talk, I said to, because with knife makers, everyone's saying shadow. They say shadow. Everybody says shadow ban all the time. And I felt as though that this is a reason why people weren't being recommended. And the real issue, the real issue was more along the lines of the timing of it all. If, if this algorithm had been like released in June, people would have been able to deal with it not before a busy holiday season. And now they're having to deal with the idea, well, we're being, you're not, you're being suppressed by, you know, Instagram is not promoting you anymore. So it, it lessens your, your, the, you know, the reach of your stuff. But it's interesting because, you know, it's interesting because you have such, you have such a huge following and you know your your rise has a lot to do with you know the engagement and obviously you've been recommended and your 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 video i every so often on if i'm on the explore page one of your videos comes up or one of your reels comes up i am interested i'm in, i'm kind of sh- surprised that you weren't affected by it at all yeah and i mean i even did have a couple knives on there um but i don't know like i said i i was just able to avoid it so I'm not really sure exactly what it was or, you know, I mean, I also post so much, so not that that probably matters to their algorithm, but I guess that is a very small part of anything that I would have ever posted. So I don't know. I was able to avoid it. So, but I think that's a, that does show how important it is to, you know, diversify yourself through, you know, with you guys doing newsletters and and that kind of stuff, you know, people trying to sell stuff and then, for people like me just doing, you know, multiple platforms where I can post all my content. Cause like I have lost stuff before I, I got, a, it wasn't even an argument, but I had a guy tell me to put a small block Chevy in my, which is, you know, a, a type of motor in my hot rod that I'm building. And I made the joke that I would burn it to the ground before putting a small block Chevy in it. And I got hit on Facebook for, inciting violence and they demonetized me and i was making a good amount of money on there at the time it was like about a year ago so right around christmas uh when you know your ad ad revenue is the best for stuff so i was doing pretty well and and they shut me down for a week and you know i lost a lot of traction through that so you know fortunately i also posted on tiktok and youtube and instagram so it didn't hurt me as much but you know if that had been my main thing like that would have really messed stuff up for a little while that's a that's yeah 
context isn't in the deep learning software yet. You know, yeah. they don't, they haven't figured and, that out yet. And I talked to people about it. I, I have a rep through Meta and I even talked to them and she was just like, oh, well, that's terrible. You know, uh, fortunately it won't be on there very long. So, you know, you don't really have to worry about it too much. And I'm like, I'm like, just so we're aware, like you literally cost me thousands of dollars for this, this problem. And she's like, wow, that, that's really terrible. And, you know, they just, they don't care. Like, yeah. how did you get you a know? rep from, how did you get a, a rep? How did you get a human being that you can get a hold of? Um, I mean, once you get to a certain point, you know, you'll, you'll get one. Um, also like that whole check mark thing. Um, you can get one through that. So that's, huh. that ends up being part of that, but you do need to post a lot on top of it. It's not just automatic, but um, you can at least get someone to talk to usually, but like I'll have a rep that I'll, you know, have a quick phone call with just to discuss strategy or whatever. And they'll give me some tips and stuff. And usually it's nothing, but you know, it's nice knowing that there is some person there that you could possibly talk to. Question. Do you have to like schedule a conversation or can you just like pick up your phone and call Marsha? Or whatever it is. Uh, so they will schedule with you usually. Um, you text if you have them and a, say, uh, "Well, no, it's pretty much all on their end." Where they'll just say, "Hey, we'd love to have a meeting with you on this day. Uh, you know, is this time good for you?" And you say yes or no, and you know maybe they can reschedule it or whatever. Um, but it's pretty much all on their end of it. You you can get support though. So if you do have like a problem with something where you got shut down, like you know a bunch of these people were on Instagram, um, you know some of them had people they could talk to, which might have been helpful for them. Would you say that the the way social media is going? I mean, social media for me. I mean, when Facebook first started for me, it was social. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with business. Do you feel like they're trying to focus more on the non-business end? Like they don't want, they don't, do they, don't, do they, is this the whole concept of businesses on social media, something that they're not really for? It just seems I mean, as though they're promoting people like you because I mean, you're creating, you're pr creating like a, you know, it's almost like you're creating a, a television network. It's yeah. not, and it's, and it's, you're, but in like for a business, if I almost feel like they're not that interested, they're not. I mean, they're kind of doing it because you have no choice. But at the same time, it's just like yeah. that's not really where their goal is. I mean, I think they're interested in supporting whatever makes them money. You know, they're they're yeah. a business, so you selling knives on their platform, unless it's set up to sell through their platform, doesn't really help them. You know, and they really don't have a good need to push stuff like that. Now, if they see that your stuff is getting a lot of attention for whatever reason, then yeah, they would start pushing it more. But, you know, they, they base this stuff on, on the viewers, you know, it's not, it, it's, I, I know we like to say, you know, terms like shadow ban and, you know, just say you've fallen out of, of favor with the algorithm or whatever, but like, it's all based on people. It's, it's right. all trying to come up with what they think people want to see. <laughs> so if me smashing a bag of concrete with a pickaxe, you know, yeah. gets a bunch of attention, like 
that's what they're going to show people. You know, you could have the nicest, whatever you, you make the nicest knife or whatever in the world. And if it just doesn't get enough traction, you know, it doesn't get enough interaction when it's initially posted, like that there's nothing, nothing else you can do about it. You see, but the funny thing is, is like, when I watched the video of you smashing those bags of, of concrete, I looked at the comments. And it was just like, nice mask. I was like, what are you criticizing? He's wearing a fucking dust mask for. He's wearing a really good dust mask. Yeah. You know? And meanwhile, I'm waiting for someone to say, nice plunge line. I see that J hook. I don't get any of that. I don't get any of that. I don't ask for it either. Trust me. Don't look too fucking close. I've constantly, I know most knife makers who post, we all look at the picture before we post and wonder what knife maker would say what about that? And then it's like, if you could see it, the other knife makers could see it, and you end up getting rid of it. Because we're, we're terrified of being, like, out of favor with other knife makers. Yeah. So being uh, my friend... Being hacked. Yeah. So my friend Austin, uh, the high-caliber craftsman, he has a theory that you you need three things, at least, to give people something to comment on. So it could be a sh the shirt you're wearing. Like I have a shirt for this uh, conspiracy channel, you, your conspiracy uh, talk uh, YouTube channel that I follow. And, and I was like, I bet if I wear this in a video, it's a pretty big channel. People will say stuff about it. And they did. And then, you know, opening those bags of concrete with a pick forks. Why would you do that? Like, well, I did it for you. You know, I did it so you would stop and look at that video and, you know, just whatever else. It's it's just little things that people will comment on. You know, it could be something as simple as just the way you hold something as you're cutting it or the camera angle, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But you need stuff to get engagement um, and be that positive or negative engagement. You know, it's all engagement. So, um you know, when people ask me like what they need to do to get more, do better, basically you just need to do stuff to get more engagement. So however you think you can do that, you know, and you need to get people's attention quick with stuff. You know, you have, they still, people will say you have like a few seconds to get people's attention, but man, people are scrolling through, you know, reels and TikToks just so fast. If it immediately, like that first, the, the first screen needs to catch their attention. You so. inspired me, and I did yesterday, I did a six-second or seven-second reel because I, I thought I was looking at all your stuff and I was looking at how you do and just how great of a job you do. And I was just like, I'm going to do something. I'm just going to have to go. Because you look at the numbers and it's all like everyone. It's, it's, as the longer it goes, people are like tuning out pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'm going to start to do like 10-second videos. And... The one I did yesterday, inspired by you, just in terms of like trying to figure out how to do engagement, was really kind of the ticket. And I feel like yeah, I, I like, need to, I like I need how to you started it. I think I need to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I get. I get, I, I tell you two things I get comments on. The, years ago, I was on this YouTube video with Epicurious, and I knew my hands were bad. I knew my hands. I'm a work. And my, my whole family, my dad was a work with his hands. My sisters work with their hands. Our hands are terrible. We go hand first. We go hands first. We're not like, you know, we don't have beautiful hands. And I know, and then my friend, Will Griffin, did a video beforehand, and they just beat the brakes off him in his hands. He had the same thing. And then the comments are killing him. So I'm getting ready to do, film this video, and my wife says to me, you should wear gloves or something for the next couple of weeks. I'm like, well, that ain't going to happen. She says, well, your hands are terrible. They're going to make fun of your hands. And I'm like, I know there's nothing I can do about it. 
do the video. The, all the comments are about my hands. And they're like, Jesus Christ, fucking hands. And fuck. The funniest, the meanest and funniest thing somebody said about my fingers, my hands, was, and this is, the, this is God bless this guy who's funny. It was hurtful, but funny. He says, that guy looks like he went to third base with a pencil sharpener. I, I swear that's, to God, I said, like, I hate, that was one of the best rips I ever got in my life. The best rips I ever got in my life. So we got a lot about that, and then one guy wrote, uh, if you if you want to get rid of that double chin, maybe you should shave under your neck or something like that. There was that. But then the other thing I get is if I um, I did this project where uh, with the city of uh, with the city that I'm in and the police department where I got these um, destroyed guns and I made this sculpture with you know it was for the city it was for the police department and we raised money for the police department and I got to keep some of the crushed guns and I welded this revolver this crushed I under the power hammer I smashed this revolver and I welded it to my my forge I always get I always get a comment about what's going on with that, that fucking forge. So now I know that if I throw the, you know, the gun forge on, that'll give me a little bit more pep in the step. Yeah. I mean, and for me, it's fun figuring that stuff out, you know, what, what can get a reaction and what kind of reaction it gets. You know, I, I think that's probably what I enjoy the most out of it. I, I don't necessarily know a lot about psychology, you know, but I like to think I, I kind of know what'll affect people on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Well, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. Chris Powell, ladies and gentlemen, full steam designs. If you're on Instagram, look, you guy got a lot of followers. I'm sure you're already following. It's at full underscore steam underscore designs. I have a question for you about your email address. Do you ever have people thinking that they sent you an email to full steam design? Because the people who have design or designs in their email or website, it's like one or the other. And yeah. emails always get lost because people don't know if it's designs or design. Yeah, I've definitely had that problem. So uh, looking back on it, I've probably a good choice to use something else. Ah, uh, you do whatever you're doing, you're doing a great job. Job guys, go to full underscore steam underscore designs on Instagram. Go check out his YouTube page as full steam designs uh, on YouTube, uh, full steam design.com. And definitely, definitely, definitely listen to the makeshift podcast. There's another makeshift podcast out there. I accidentally listened to it. Boy, is it bad. It was, it was about the guy was, did a, he, they were doing a bit. I, and I feel like these are like Mets fans or something like that. They were doing a, a whole bit on whether or not a hot dog's a sandwich. I was just like, this is not Chris Powell. It ain't Chris, Chris Powell and his guys are not talking about whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich or not. But I want to thank you for coming on. You're always welcome here. Um, and I appreciate what you're doing and I look forward to everything you do. And, uh, Chris, thank you so much. Cool. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. All right, guys. We're going to see you next week with my man, Ben Camone. All right. I'll see you later.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.